Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, and today we have Guy from How to Be a Great Game Master. He does some great YouTube content. If you're not watching it, you really need to. And today we're going to be talking about druids. But before we do that, we have some iTunes reviews. And the iTunes review we have today is from Bartolu Tanner, entitled Excellent, Five Stars. As a fellow podcaster, I can tell how much joy and skill goes into the crafting of this show. As a fellow DM, I can tell how much knowledge and passion the hosts have for playing D&D. It's outstanding. Highly recommended. Well, thank you, Bartolu, and hopefully we can hear your podcast soon. For Patreon Dragons Golden Hire, head on over to Patreon and keep an eye out for a druid lair that yours truly made. But with all that out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. <laughs> So today for the meet, we have a super special guest. I am very excited because I love all the content he makes. And we have Guy Sklanders, the creator of How to Be a Great GM YouTube series. Guy, thanks for coming. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. We are so excited to have you here. Now, for any of our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with you, we just told them uh, what you're probably most well known for as far as tabletop but can you just tell us a little bit about yourself whatever you'd like to tell us uh neil always says do you like long walks on the beach like whatever you'd like our listeners to know tell us a little bit about yourself well specifically no i don't like long walks on the beach i have a a, a phobia of the ocean as a matter of fact but um (laughs) yeah yeah it's water washing away at the beach sand just freaks me the hell out anyway uh so so walks along concreted pathways in a nice secure area i think is probably probably the best you're going to get right yeah so i i do the the how to be a great gm series on on youtube and um i run a, a live uh session play on the Wizards of the Coast uh, D&D Twitch channel for them uh, every Saturday. And I've also started to write books for the role-playing community. The last one was uh, on how to create epic campaigns, so how to run a long long campaign in your game. And then our latest one is on how to run nautical campaigns, so, so how to incorporate ships and ship combat into your role-playing space. Uh, yeah, so that's that's pretty much what I do. My background is I, I used to be a script writer for television back in South Africa and uh, have been a role player since I can remember. So there we are. That's awesome. And if people don't know about how to be a great GM YouTube series, shame, first and foremost. But now that the shame has moved away, what what would you tell our listeners to like kind of hook them in to go watch all of the awesome content you're putting out? We focus specifically on how to improve your experience as a dungeon master, as a game master, and as a player, not from a rules perspective. So you won't find a single video on the the best build or the best class. Or uh, We also try to be system agnostic, so we don't just talk about 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. We talk about Cthulhu and Warhammer and 40K and all those other wonderful systems that are out there. At least we try anyway. 
our channel is about what makes good storytelling, what makes good character, what makes good narrative, and how do you take the mechanics as supplied and turn them into an experience so that you walk away from your gaming experience going, it feels like I was actually living there. It feels like I have just slayed the dragon. It's, that was the best movie I've seen because I was in the center of it and it, it, it worked. So we, we're often sort of called the, the, the social rule place where people go to learn how to be better humans because we also talk about what you shouldn't do at the table. Um, you know, like eat with your mouth open and touch other people's <laughs> dice. <laughs> oh, man. And if our listeners aren't excited to have you on as a guest, I don't know how they've gotten this far in our podcast because <laughs> that's what we love to talk about as well. So you're in great company. Fantastic. All right. So, Guy, we have a surprise question for you uh, as we do all of our guests. This one comes from one of our Patreon dragons, Mindweave RPG. This is a fantastic question. I'm excited I get to ask it. What modern song, and he specifically says, besides Hotel California, would you like to model a D&D encounter after? And that's my surprise question. That's your surprise question. Considering that I listen to classical music, and mm. for me, contemporary music is something that was written in 1915. Modern day songs, good grief, uh, <laughs> that I would, I would turn into an, an adventure. Or an, an encounter, an adventure, yeah, either. Wow. You see, anything I name is going gonna, is gonna to definitely ground me as being someone who doesn't listen to modern day music. <laughs> I mean, there are some who would say his calling Hotel California as modern <laughs> right, stretch right, right, itself. Right, Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. Okay, well, in that case, then off the top of my head, it's an awful song, but it got stuck in my head when it was, it was out there because you couldn't avoid it whatsoever. I would have to go with uh, Who Let the Dogs Out? Oh, because that to me just sounds like a werewolf rampage of yeah. absolute chaos and, and joy. So, okay, now here's the real question: As you are DMing that encounter and you describe the werewolves coming out of the woods, or however it is that you're describing, do you then hit play on the song <laughs> and let that be the encounter music? I think so. I think so. I think so. And I can almost see a bunch of redneck. Uh, hobbits <laughs> who had this this cage or kennel that that call. I mean, I know that's not what the song's about, but I I I I, I think that's 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 how I would play that. Phenomenal. Um, I don't think we could have asked for a better answer. No. So thank you, <laughs> thank you, guy, for that answer. Thank you, Mine Weave RPG, for that great question. Let's uh, transition now into our topic that we're here. To discuss, uh, we are talking about the Druid class, uh, specifically as DMs, whether you have a player at your table uh, who is taking up the class of a Druid, or maybe multiple players who want to be Druids, or just trying to analyze Druids in your homebrew world, uh, how they will interact with the PCs, what kind of societies and cultures are built around this, this class of Druids. Uh, it's a great thing for us as DMs to really dive into these classes and ask ourselves what the lore is behind them and how we can really bring these classes to life and help our players bring these classes to life when they choose whatever class they choose. So uh, to begin with, 
let's just talk about the druid in general. What is a druid? What makes a druid a druid? Uh, and as a spellcaster, how are they different from the other spellcasting classes? Guy, if you'd like to start. Druids are an interesting... They're an interesting class, and they've been around for a long time. My very first character that I played uh, wasn't a druid, uh, but my second <laughs> character was. And I remember that because I wanted to create a dual sickle-wielding druid hmm. based off of Getafix from the Asterix and Obelix comic series. And Getafix is probably a very bad example of a druid uh, to a large degree because of the white robe and, and, and that sort of thing. Because when you look at the literature as, as to where druids came from and, and their origins and the like, you start to realize there actually isn't a huge amount of data about the actual druid that we, we have from our own cultural background. We've got romanticized versions, which is what we get given in the books. And of course, the, the, the notion of this, this nature keeper, this, this guardian of the wild, uh, I think is, is definitely something that's very barbarically romantic. We sort of think of this, this person living off of the wild and shape-changing into animals and, and staying in that sort of animal form. And uh, I, again, going back to second edition, the druids, there, was, there were dru druids of the spider, sort of the, the, the arachnophile druids who tended just to spiders and, and insects and things. And then there were plague druids who dealt with plagues because they were seen as being part of the natural balance of things. And there was a long period where druids were looked at as being this impartial, let it be, you know, nature is all about violence and death and carnage as well as balance. So as long as what was happening in the world was in balance, the druids wouldn't interfere. And that was a big barrier for a lot of players to get into because it's like, well, I really shouldn't act. It's like they were the ultimate emo goth type things, weren't they? It's like, oh, I, I'm not bothered. I'm not going to act. I'm not going to act. I'm true neutral and I'm a druid. Whatever adventure the DM throws at us, I'm going to say, eh, why do I care? Exactly, <laughs> right? Seen that exactly, at the table. Exactly, yeah. exactly. There was this, this horrid actor thing. It's like, what's my motivation? Because <laughs> I don't need one. It's, I don't have and, any. <laughs> We had other classes that had the same kind of problems. You, you always had the paladin who had to be lawful idiot. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 so the druid kind of fell into that space as well, I think, for a long time where it was seen as this thing. And then with later editions, uh, Pathfinder had druids as well. And their druids were, I think, a little bit more flexible. But again, not deviating terribly from the notion of this person with sticks in their hair who sleeps under a bush and, and really just wants to be a brown bear all the time. So that has changed, I think, to a degree, but we're still in that space of, of this anthropomorphic or person type of thing. I don't think that's necessarily a bad space. I think we need to, to perhaps sometimes go back to the roots of what Druids were about from our own history, which is where they were spiritual advisors, they were judges, they were the, the law and the keepers of the law, because Druids came from cultures that didn't necessarily have writing as a means of passing on their, their knowledge. So they were the keepers of said law, and they trained up new, new Druids to, to continue. And they were fairly impartial in terms of inter-tribal uh, warfare, 
they were a sort of a separate space. And when you look at from that perspective, you go, okay, so maybe the druid that I'm playing is not affiliated to anyone in particular, but they are there to act as counsel and sage and 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 an advisor. And that's a, a pretty cool space to be in if you play it correctly. And if you're a DM, it gives you this wonderful sort of NPC who can mentor and guide the party as well. So, I mean, there's lots that you can look at, but for me, that's kind of where I see them. First off, I'm going to say this so that it's not in my brain anymore. Mitch, you understand that's how I operate. Obviously, the druid is, in fact, the one who let the dogs out. (laughs) Now I can breathe a sigh of relief so that that's not in my brain anymore. But I think looking back towards the way druids began in our society and then looking forward into how D&D operates, even from the very beginning, it was as if they were this mix of both cleric and wizard. Where, while on the one hand, you have this ritual and I need to do X, Y, and Z to accomplish this spell, I am also seeking a higher power, be it just nature in in general, be it a very specific deity that I've attached my beliefs to, but this mix of both. It's not just I'm calling on high as a cleric and the deity's like, yeah, I got you. And (laughs) sacred flame falls from the sky, but I need to do these things in this way to be able to appease the god or different things. So I think it's a really interesting mix when adding them to your world of both cleric and wizard. And kind of going off of that, like I like that idea of the druids being like steeped in mystery. Like there's a lot that we we look at the history of druids in our world and we go, yeah, we don't we don't really know a ton about them. And you can take that and you can bring that into your homebrew world and say, same deal. And unlike a lot of like clerics in your party or NPCs that are probably going to be um, attached to some church organization that maybe is spread across the entirety of your world, the druids are, we get this idea that they operate more on like small gatherings in different areas. And yeah, they might have very different goals, very different beliefs. It's going to change where they're, where they are is going to change probably how they operate, what they look like. I know guy, you were like, you know, I, my first Druid, he had this white robe and uh, I know that doesn't really fit that typical Druid, but, but why not? Especially if we're talking about Druids in different regions, if we're talking about Druids in the tundras of the cold, frozen wastes of your world, that's going to look very different than the Druids that we're used to when we talk about Druids, right? I feel like as a DM, it's a it's a fault of mine because whenever I think, oh, what's a cool NPC to come into play here? The only time I think Druid is when we're in like your typical temperate forest but a druid can be placed anywhere and it's going to really like getting to this like i feel like our discussion is really based off of like all right let's break down the druid and let's let's get away from like almost the classic what we think about with druid and that's why i love these episodes because it really gets into the meat of like okay but moving away from that can create all these other cool opportunities for NPCs and societies and like ways to look at this class. And when you're sitting down with a player to be like, that's awesome that you really want to dive into this, this nature aspect of your Druid. 
But have you thought about if he came from the desert or the frozen waste or something like this? Like, how would that change how he is? Couldn't agree with you more. I think it is an opportunity to expand and to explore. And as you say, if you just look at a druid from the Amazon, they're going to look at things very differently. And they're going to operate very differently from, in, a, in terms of a mindset even as to, as to about cycles. And they won't have a clue about what, what uh, autumn uh, or fall or spring or winter is. Coming from Africa, I can tell you, winter is not something that's particularly terrifying. We don't really know what snow is. Because it doesn't, it happens to other people, right? So, yes, you're quite right, and and I think that can inform the players in terms of how they bring those things together. And as you were talking, I'm like, you know, I'm trying to think of who would be a modern day druid Hmm. in our own context that someone who champions nature and who doesn't shy away from the violence of nature, but who also just absolutely revels in it and who is seen as someone who who really has power over nature to a degree. And the only mind I can think of is is David Attenborough, who has really been everywhere. And you think about what he's been doing and and how he looks at nature and that sort of thing. You can also, I suppose, uh, turn to to some of the other nature channels out there and old Steve Irwin from Australia, who who used to really get involved in, in that kind of thing. And then you look at how Steve Irwin died and you go, well, that's probably how a druid would like to go, you know, uh, at, the, at the hands of a natural in, uh, encounter. Uh, so, yeah, and, and going back to the idea of the druid as, as not divine and as not arcane, but as a natural source of energy, I think is absolutely wonderful. And a lot of times, as game masters, you talk about ex- extending yourself, extending the idea that there is this natural force. It's not new, the, the concept of Gaia and that there's a living planet and that all creatures generate energy. And that's what the Druids are actually using. I think it's great. I think it can be reinforced and really separated out. Now, I, I know that in, in later editions of, of D&D and Pathfinder and, and, and the like, they've tried to really wash out exclusivity to create a more balanced space, which they didn't do in earlier versions. And I kind of feel like they've lost something as well where, you know, Oh, everyone's got access to this spell and everyone's got access to that spell. It's like, well, is that really the right way to go? I would, I would almost prefer it that it's like, well, no, the Druids have got their own magic and it's because it's based off of the energy from living creatures, not from, the god of nature or from you know the the, the 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 power of the magic which comes from an arcane realm or, or something along those lines so yeah I, I think once you've got druids involved in, in your in your game it's definitely something to look at I use them uh, I was running a campaign where the one player was a druid and he got in touch with the the hero front of the druids and the, the world was at war. It was a mega campaign in terms of, of that kind of scale. And the Hierophant kept trying to figure out how to bring balance, how to bring balance, how to bring balance. And the player didn't realize this, but they were starting to act as the champion of the Druids right up until the point that he then realized that the Druids had decided the best course of action to save the entire space was simply to take control of the entire planet and subjugate all other races, all other kingdoms. The elves were wrong, the humans were wrong, the orcs were wrong, everybody was wrong. Uh, The druids needed to retake control. 
And they were doing a pretty good job of it because they were Druids. And I needed them to be able to get around the world quite quickly. And I was like, well, how do Druids, Druids move about? And there was that wonderful spell where a Druid could enter a tree somewhere and then exit a tree somewhere else. So we created these, these SAP networks where, where people could move through. And when you start thinking about that, you're like, wow, that's, that's a really powerful thing until they got to invading the desert. And it's like, well, we can get to the edge of the desert, but there are no, there are no trees. I mean, there's, there's cacti and there's, there's certain types of plants and things, but they're not enough capacity, you know. And yeah, the, the, the character eventually became the, the Hierophant. He replaced the Druid, um, who was insane, clearly, with power and just deciding to try and revert back the world to, to a natural state. But the, the idea is that these dru- Druids are, are often seen as power crazy if they are NPCs, because they're trying to restore nature and they believe that nature should be this, you know, we should all, well, we should all, but everyone should go back to being in the primitive state. And I'm not entirely sure that that is the correct interpretation sometimes. I mean, I fall into that trap. But when I look at, at modern day nature conservationists, we have massive conservation programs going on all, all over the world. And I know certainly in South Africa, there was huge contention over the elephant populations. And we had conservationists saying, we need to actually cull 100,000 elephants. And there was a huge uproar because elephants are these graceful, majestic creatures. They're like, 100,000 elephants, are you crazy? And the answer was, well, yes, they are a very large force in terms of changing environments. They strip mine areas because they can't migrate like they used to. So we need to manage those populations. Otherwise, they will simply do what happened in another country in Africa, where they turned a savanna into a desert because they just ate everything. And you go, it's a human created problem because we put fences around and and constrain, but then how do we manage it? So I'm not sure that that druids have to go the extreme route of like, well, we must just reduce everybody back to being primitives and, 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 and get to that space. Yeah, and of course you can go that route, right? Like it's funny as you were talking, I I thought of Magic: The Gathering and the Ravnica block, where you have the Gruul, the Gruul group that is exactly that. They would destroy every city and let the plants overtake them and the creatures of the world overtake them. So there you have that extreme. So yeah, if you want to, you can go that route. Although if we're not talking NPCs, because of course. That's a cool, uh, to me, I'm like, that's a cool group of druids to add into your world, right? To have them have that mindset. But if you're talking about a player, that's a difficult thing to do in a group where you don't have, unless you're playing all druids of the same mindset, like when you're out in the cold and the paladin goes up to the tree and is like, I'm going to take this down for wood and you get in front and you're like, no, we're not hurting the tree. Uh, But instead, I think the picture that I would say most druids in my mind would take on is more of a not hating civilization, not thinking civilization should be destroyed, but just believing that civilization needs to learn to live with nature in harmony, uh, which in my mind goes right to the Magic the Gathering uh, Selesnia Guild and like these beautiful cities that uh, are pictured in the artwork where trees are and vines are interwoven in these beautiful, gorgeous, and really big cities, but it's 
mankind, and obviously we're talking about fantasy, so elvenkind, whatever it is, living alongside of nature. And so you can take that and like encourage your player to be like, yeah, your druid loves nature, but what if rather than fighting with the paladin to chop down that tree, you see this as a like a good use of the natural world because it will keep you and the rest of your group warm. Uh, and perhaps you, perhaps you say a prayer, uh, to the God that you're connected to, uh, thanking them for this resource. And perhaps you, you plant a seed in the ground afterwards to give back because you're like, okay. And then, and even as a Druid, there are plenty of spells that can be like, all right, well, I'll just grow another tree in its place because that would really work with that balance aspect as well of, Yes, we will take, but then we will give. I think what you're presenting is what I want to continue to present. The idea that your first level druid is probably not, well, I would maybe even go so far as to suggest probably should not look at nature on that scale. What they can do and what they're capable of is telling that paladin, no, we're going to cut the tree down like this instead of like that because that is a more sustainable way. Now you haven't killed the tree. We've taken the resources that we need, but the tree will go on and have that resource available to other people. And I think viewing the world in the realm that the individual druid has control over, that's the balance that they're trying to shape. That individual aspect with the tree or may, no, we shouldn't just outright kill this animal for our food we don't know what that animal means to nature and maybe it is okay and you do pray and makes me think of avatar and you go thank it as it happens but like approaching it in the sustainable way not just this wanton destruction of like oh yeah we 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 cut all the trees down we needed a big fire or like we killed bambi and everyone that bambi was related to because i was very hungry but figuring out the realm that they can influence and yeah okay they're 15th level okay let's talk about nations let's talk about moving forest to do things but when it's just lower level no we'll just save the one tree we'll save the one deer i love that idea and i think if i ever had a player playing a druid and they're like all right we make camp and there's a tree incident i think that's really awesome i do think though that this is an excellent example of where magic fundamentally breaks apart the game because the druid can quite literally talk to trees and animals and the the by virtue of the fact that they can talk back implies that they're sentient and so suddenly it's like yeah you could cut that tree down um or you could walk into a village and cut down you know one of the humans living there because it's it's the same they're both sentient, they're both self-aware, they both, you know, have ambitions if it's just to grow or, or you know, but it, it, the magic suddenly levels out that playing field. It's like, oh God, everything, <laughs> everything is alive, true. Everything is aware though. So if you're happy to cut down a tree, if you're happy to kill the rabbit, whom two minutes ago the druid was chatting about his problems with foxes and you know, uh, feeding his hundred little kits in in the, in the Warren. So, so so there's that Disney effect that suddenly happens, where oh crikey, it really is Bambi. But everything is has got problems, and little trees would have little squeaky voices because they're little young trees hoping to one day grow up and be a big tree like my dad. 
And it's like, <laughs> oh my God, okay, well, I'm just going to cut you dead. I'll plant another acorn, but I kind of feel like that's, I don't know. It's yeah. Like, yeah, we'll yeah, just like, grow another human. just kill a person and be like, yeah. ah, like, yeah, 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 I'll, yeah. I'll have a son now. <laughs> yeah, I'll just have a son with your wife because that's that is, fine. That is super interesting because when when we as dms and like if you are out there listening and you have created a homebrew world i bet this is not something you thought of when your pc when your player chose to be a druid that this was something that possibly could come up as a potential problem because yes if you are looking at the speak to animal and speak to plants uh, as something that when you dm and your druid cast that spell to speak to a, a rabbit. If that rabbit comes up and is like, oh, good morning. How's it going? Let's let's have a conversation. I would love to talk to you about the morality of, and if you have the plant do the exact same thing of, oh, hello, like, yes, yes I've, I can tell you exactly who passed on by here, then that is 100% opening up that door of everything around you is sentient and, like, intelligent to that point as well. Uh, and I'll be honest, a hundred percent, I have DM'd and played in that way too. Uh, but that's, that is something that I've thought of, uh, recently. And I'd love to hear what your guys thoughts are on this because, uh, for me, I've kind of changed my way in doing that. Uh, when I have a druid at the table now and they cast speak with animals, uh, I just, in the last game I had, I had a player, the druid cast speak with animals and wanted to find some birds to send messages to a city. Um, what kind of messages? Of course, it was a message of we're coming to destroy you, you know, player stuff. Um, but <laughs> but the birds were very like they didn't speak in full senses. It was like, oh, hello. And then the druid would explain. And uh, do you understand me? Yes. <laughs> Can you do it now? Now? <laughs> yes. Now. OK. Flies off a uh, lot less uh, of a conversation uh, and then with trees as well, maybe there's this aspect of speaking with trees rather than saying the tree actually speaks to you in the in a language that you understand. Uh, you understand the feelings of the tree, the emotions, the the way that it's thinking. And you say, you know, you get the feeling that this is this is the way that this tree thinks about this kind of opens it up to be a little bit different in the way you view it, right? Because we know that animals do communicate with each other, although they aren't speaking, like, they're not speaking English to each other. They are communicating to each other. So I think that's a really good point, like, breaking that down of how do you, as a DM, how do you use that spell and how do you roleplay that spell when that spell is done? And that's something that I didn't think the first time is, what kind of door does this open if this animal or this tree just speaks completely perfectly uh and intelligently that's going to be a lot harder to hunt that deer for food when you're like but the the guy's the guy's awesome i love that deer he's he's great he's intelligent he's fantastic we had an incident because you're absolutely right and so there's two things i'd like to touch on there one uh, because this was fairly recent so people can actually go and watch this if they want to we have in 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 the uh wizards game that i run uh, we're doing descent into Avernus, so the guys are, are all in Avernus in, in this hellscape. And there's a druid who who uh, has speak with with plants, and so he casted on this this particularly vicious type of plant. Every plant in Avernus eats living things. Uh, it's it's just kind of the the take I took on 
well, if there's a plant here, there's an ecology and the ecology must feed off of something and there's no rain. So anyway, so the first couple of plants he came across, the moment he cast Speak With Plants, the plant just screamed, kill, kill, kill at him. <laughs> that, that, or die, die, die. Because that's all it wanted him to do was just die. So there was no... It, it kind of broke the rules a little bit of the spell, but but that was that was what I genuinely felt the plant would be saying. I realized, though, that I couldn't do that for all the plants because otherwise the druid has suddenly been disempowered unfairly because I wasn't penalizing the fighters on swinging their swords, so why should I then disempower the spell? So All these they, plants they, suck. <laughs> yeah, right? So, so eventually they came across a plant which they did speak to, and... Although it wanted them to create a sacrifice for them, it was still still cooperative. But what I did a long time ago was my speak with plants requires body language from the player and from the GM. So it, it doesn't translate so well on a podcast, but when speaking with a tree, one has to do tree gestures. So your hands have to fan out and it's, it's like become the tree as, as they would do in, in acting class. So, and then when you're talking to the, 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 the plants and things, um, a tree might make, it almost looks like jaws with your hands to talk about the, the encroaching figure. And by making jaws, it's like, well, this is the jaw of a bear, so it's a predator. And by talking about the sun rising and then the sun setting as the branches moving to open up as the trees do when the light shines and then closing down as plants. There's lots of flowers that do that as well. So it was an attempt to try and give the tree the ability to communicate, but to communicate in a way that it would communicate. And what was funny was that when I first started doing these weird hand gestures and body shapes and things, the druid player looked at me as if I was completely nuts and then tried to talk back. Okay, well, which way did the orcs go? And the tree continued to do these weird gestures and it wouldn't answer him until he started to try and do these weird emulations. He didn't know what the rules were. At that, st- that time, I didn't have rules either. It was just what I felt would represent. So as long as he was doing weird and wonderful things, getting his, himself physically into that shape, I kind of went along with it. And then I allowed the conversations to happen. So now, whenever I play with that group of, of friends or with anybody who knows how I do my plant speak, players sitting around the table or online suddenly start distorting themselves as yes. they try to figure out how to represent water or a fish or whatever. And it, it just, it helps make it feel more like communicating in that space with the creatures, with the plants, with the animals, rather than just having a, a, a conversation to try and address exactly what you're talking about. So, yeah. And, and it, it, it ends up being a lot of fun because sometimes, you know, they're doing something like that and you're like, what the hell? what are you trying to say with that? And he's like, well, this doesn't this look like I'm skinning a deer. And it's like, no, it, it does not look like you're skinning <laughs> a deer at all. How did you get that shape out of skinning? You know, so yeah, it, it gives a moment of, of, of humor as well, which I always like. I love it. It's great. It's a great way to challenge your, your players and be like, yeah, like maybe, maybe, maybe you don't want to do this, but this is the way that the tree is going to understand you. So let's role play this. Which I feel like is a perfect segue as you've made your players go into wild shapes. I think that one of the (laughs) – I had to. I'm sorry. (laughs) The other thing that we want to talk about that we haven't really addressed is the ability for the druid to take on 
these shapes as these animals. And I think further kind of blur that line of what it means to interact with animals, because now through speak with animals, speak with plants, you're already having that interaction, but now you're literally having a bear or a wolf save your life. Like in while you on an intellectual level know that that is the druid who is an elf, let's say that doesn't change the fact that in the moment, in the emotional memory, in the visual memory, it is a wolf or a bear, an elk, who knows what it is that genuinely saved your life or is next to you doing these, going through these terrible, horrific things potentially and saving the world. I mean, yeah, wild shape is going to just mess with brains even more now that we've unlocked it. <laughs> Let's just kick the door wide open. Yeah, I, I think wild shape is a is a whole a whole different subject. I, I love hate wild shape, and when they when they introduced it in fifth <laughs> edition, I hated it with a passion, <laughs> absolute passion. Having said that, though, yes, we as humans tend to empathize more with animals than we do with other humans. When you think about movies that really make you bawl your eyes out, it's when the animal is dying or suffering, not when one the, dead, human, the, yeah, one the human dead, dying, yeah, dead so dog compared right? to a thousand dead people <laughs> in a movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, watch, shoot all watch the people. Who, who, how many people cry, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Zombie movie and everyone's being bitten, not a problem. Yep. The little <laughs> dog that's terrified in the corner gets bitten. In fact, Tickets, we see right? the people get bit and we go, oh, that was awesome. And then the dog and we're, we're yes. in tears. <laughs> we are in tears. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's all that kind of stuff coming through. And I often find it difficult when you, when you look at Wild Shape and the druid goes, all right, I turn into a tiger. There is a disconnect if you don't set your mind to thinking about it, that this person has changed shape into a tiger. And the more I play games with people who have transformed into different shape, into different animals, the more I realize that that is not, as far as I'm concerned, the benefit. The benefit is the perspective and the additional abilities that suddenly happen. And when I've role played with great role players, you see them transforming, not during, during combat, where it's, oh, I'm transforming into a bear and I've got all these extra hit points and I can do all of this kind of stuff. It's like, no, 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 the characters are climbing up a wall. Okay, well, I transform into a spider to climb up the wall and carry my companions. Or I turn into an octopus so that I can hold all eight people's hands at the same time. There's more utility there as well, which I think... The more you know about nature, the more you can really, really utilize that to its fullest, fullest extent. Uh, and hopefully the, the dungeon master will go along with that as well in terms of uh, you, you, you turn into a honey badger. Why is a honey badger terrifying? And then you realize what a honey badger actually is. And you go, oh, wait, okay. So that is why it is absolutely terrifying <laughs> or, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, yeah, honey badgers, for those of you don't, that don't know, do you guys know what a honey badger is? Yeah, they just don't care. They just don't care. They're like wolverines. <laughs> well, that's the equivalent, right? They just don't care. And they're just violent, angry, aggressive, nasty little things. So <laughs> Wild Shape done well, I think, is, is, is a huge opportunity for the player to explore. Well, like you're saying, I think if, if you go, and a lot of, I would say, especially newer players go into it, and they think about Wild Shape as a, combat thing uh and it's not really helped by the fact that at least in the book uh it is presented in that way in fact if we're talking about fifth edition you have uh 
uh, a specific the circle of the moon and it goes right into the first thing on the page is combat wild shape. So it's like you're using this to fight things. And it is very cool with the fact that like you gain the hit points and then if you go down, you just revert back to your original form and you're at whatever hit points you were before you wild shaped. It's like that's a great combat feature. However, yeah. Another aspect that wasn't in older editions, so older editions can certainly be uh, more restrictive in ways that I go, there was purpose behind that, but 5th edition does not talk about uh, size as a restriction, which is very interesting, not because you can now just transform into this giant beast, but because you can, uh, guy you said spider, but you can transform into an actual sized spider and all of a sudden the rogue who's like i'll sneak into that dungeon and i'll see how many enemies well hold on (laughs) i am a druid i can transform into a fly and literally be a fly on the wall now i've only got one hit point but the chances of me being seen as a fly that's and i'm not gonna be the typical fly that flies around their face i'm gonna try to stay hidden that's a that's a great way to use a druid you can climb into keyholes and get through. It's a little broken, to be honest, but it opens up this this crazy thing to be able to do as Wild Shape that's not combat focused. The other the other thing I'm thinking every time you mention it is what does that A to B look like? What is the transformation from, again, we'll just keep saying elf uh, to keep it in perspective. Like I was an elf and now I am a tiger. There are a lot of ways you can go. You could be working with some five and six year olds and it is a puff of smoke and there is a tiger now and that is awesome and they love it. The other thing is the you see it in some media where it is this gruesome transformation that goes from humanoid to a tiger. And what does that look like? How does it change your party's perspective of this happening on a regular basis? Or does it become more and I hate to say it that way, more natural that you're transforming into these things and it's easier for you. I mean, that could be a very real aspect of your player is like it is this terrible transformation, painful that I have to go through. But I know that that there is benefit on the other side of this pain. And again, 100 could 100 percent could be a puff of smoke and there's a tiger. <laughs> but figuring out what that is or what your player wants that to be is another really important aspect of what Wild Shape is in your game and your world. I think also uh, you 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 hit it right on the head in terms of saying, let's figure this out. And I do this with mages. I'm not. This is nothing unique to me. A lot of people do it when a mage casts a spell. The first time they cast a spell, I'm like, okay, what color is your magic? And they're like, what? It's like, well, what color is your magic? You know, give me, is it a green? Is it a purple? Is it a blue? Is it scintillating plaid? You know, what, what, what color is your magic? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's magic, so it could be anything, right? Um, and and you absolutely right with druids. Is that transformation, stretching skin, ripping flesh and, and, and bone, as we've seen in some contemporary takes on, on, on sort of werewolf transformations and things, is it something like um, there was a wonderful Disney movie called The Sword and the Stone, which was released in the 70s, where, yes, you transform into the creature, but your skin tone determines the hair or scale color of said creature. So you might transform into an elvish tiger, but you're not 
orange and black. You are uh, sort of limey, olive green and, and blonde, for example. Suddenly you've become Battle Cat from He-Man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, yes. it, 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 it really depends on, on, on what the player wants to do. And as long as it's not game-breaking then I think that it's usually usually the best course of action. Okay, that's cool. So if they, trans- oh, sorry, if they transform into this tiger, that's green and blue, it's not something that, that is going to then suddenly start giving them disadvantages on stealth and other tigers won't like you and, you know, you're going to have to join the green and blue tiger club. And, and <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's not about that sort of thing, I think, uh, and making sure of that. And... The, the whole idea of breaking the system in terms of the druid being able to do what the thief can do and be able to do what the barbarian can do. and Oh, look, I can just absorb damage and come out of it on the other end unscathed. Most of the magic casting classes, I think, have the ability to, to really mimic up what the other classes are doing. And I think that it is, uh, it's, a, it's a different kind of player who goes, okay, well, actually, I want to play a druid who's a thief. And so who specializes in transforming into a mouse or a house cat who just sort of wanders around and nobody pays any attention to. Yes, they can certainly do that. I think it's a bad player who goes, I'm going to play a druid who's a thief, even though I know my fellow player is playing a thief. Because as you say, I'm gonna be you will do rogue. better. <laughs> yeah, I'm a better rogue than you are, and you're an actual rogue. But you can never be a better druid than I can be because, well... Uh, yes, you can go and study horticulture and, and, and that sort of thing, but it's not going to help you. And you can come up with creative ways around that. Perhaps there was a time where you did, you, tr- you transformed into a spider, and you remember the sheer terror of that goblin that brought his foot down on you and squashed you, and you're like, never again, man, <laughs> never again. I really love what you brought up with like the almost your physical appearance as, when you're not transformed, when you're not wild-shaped. Having some effect on what you look like when you are are wild shape, I think it'd be really cool to explore that uh, if I was playing a, a druid or if I had a player playing a druid to like ask, well, when you're not transformed, what are your defining characteristics? Uh, and like I'm thinking like, OK, like if a if a druid character like is missing an eye when they transform, do they just get two eyes of the tiger or are they still missing an eye if they have a birthmark like maybe on their neck does that appear as a spot on the fur of whatever they transform into which can can certainly be a flaw right because maybe your enemies become used to you and they're like i i know that that's that's the marking but also it could be really helpful that your the rest of your adventuring party sees that and knows that's my friend over there they're transformed that's transformed it's not one of the boars attacking us because certainly if you transform into an animal and there are, are animals of the wilderness attacking that could become really confusing and you might get hit by an arrow from the ranger thinking that you're maybe one of the attacking bears you can just make i guess the decision not to transform into a bear but i find it to be an interesting avenue to say well what if there's a defining feature uh, there's a reason why dogs are different colors. It's that we can tell the breeds apart. So when they were breeding the different types of dogs that we have, color was a very specific choice so that, oh, look, the difference between a uh, Border Collie and a German Shepherd or an Alsatian is black and white, tan and black. 
And so dogs were bred specifically to have different color, as long as all the other attributes as well. But color was a major thing. And the, 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 the breeders were trying to get unique colors per breed. Hence things like Weimaraners and Dalmatians becoming a, a, a major differentiator, even though physically they, they, they're fairly similar. So I have one more question about the wild shape ability. In the player's handbook, it definitely goes into the fact that uh, when you are transformed into whatever shape that whatever beast you've transformed into, you lose the ability to speak, which certainly is there for a mechanic perspective, because then you are not able to cast spells. And it also says, you know, because you don't have regular hands, you can't uh, also intricately move your hands to cast spells, which I would say, well, what if you transform into an ape? Can you still do it? But anyway, two questions from that. One, would you ever see that as something that you would change in your games while you're playing and say, you know what, maybe you as a druid, you are able to to speak uh, when wild shaped. Uh, perhaps even it's, you know, depends on what it is. Maybe you've learned to because you've transformed so much into a bear that you've learned to be able to. It's still a gruff and it's a cool role playing thing to be like, what's your bear voice? I'd love to hear your bear voice uh, as a macaw. Maybe you can speak. Um, so would you would you ever let that allow that to happen? And if so, how? And then also, would you allow a player who wild shapes into a specific creature to going back, be able to speak to creatures of that same type when transformed? Because that is something at the very least in fifth edition we don't get details on. So I find that to be something that maybe is up to the DM. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I mean, my go-to almost would be like, one of those has to be true. Like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that neither are true. Like, <laughs> so then figuring out if I would want both to be true, I think that would take me a little bit more time, but I would 100% make at least one of those true. Because then if they can't communicate as that creature, then they should still be able to communicate back as the whatever they were transforming out of and still have communication with the with the group. The other thing would be how cool would it be that they are turning into a bear to kind of maybe try a diplomatic approach and say, I'm a bear. And now we're <laughs> communicating on a direct bear to bear level. And then you have the hilarious interaction because I'm still asking for a bear voice. Don't get me wrong. But, <laughs> and then unfortunately I then have to do a bear voice on my own, but we're talking and the rest of the party is just hearing these grunts and growls back and forth. I, it has to be at least one of those, if not both of those, for me. What's your bear voice? Uh, I don't. Oh man, Neil I don't know. loves doing voices. I hate doing voices <laughs> so much. Give it to us, Neil. Come on. Oh, it would be. It would be. Oh, I don't know. One would either a, a hilarious yogi impression, <laughs> but then the other one is totally just being super slow about things hmm. and like non-committal. Like I. Every time I also think of a bear, people are like, oh, they're so fast. And they, because they can also run like 35 miles an hour, which is pure insanity. But I always think of bears just being like, nah, so I just woke up. How's it going? And just that the whole time. Awesome. I can't get Batman's voice out of my head for a bear. It's like, yeah. I am bear. Chris, Christian Bale's Batman. Right? That'd be great. Yeah. 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 Uh, not George Clooney's voice, definitely not. No. <laughs> so. I think it's a challenge. When you look at the idea of wild shape to enable the druid to suddenly be able to cast speak with animals, 
I am not knowledgeable enough. Speak with animals. Is it a cantrip or is it a first level spell? If it's a cantrip, then what I'm about to say doesn't make any sense. If it's a first level spell, then it makes sense. The ability to wild shape is is a function that the druid can do fairly regularly, twice per per short rest. So that that allows them to do it on a on a fairly continuous basis. So if you were to then give them the ability to speak with the animal that they have transformed into, which does to a degree make sense you suddenly are freeing up a spell slot for them. So you're giving them an extra power, which you're not necessarily giving to the other players. And I know people say, oh, balance is important. I don't particularly care. I think that that, that would be, that to me would make sense, except that you do maintain your intellect and uh, your, your intelligence and wisdom and charisma score. So that to me implies that your brain is still functioning as a human. So you would have the human capacity to interact with the creature. I do think though, that if you said, yes, okay, if you transform into a bear, you can speak with bears. I would then say that the player is no longer able to communicate with any of the other players because I have had players go, oh, well, I'm a raven. I can only squawk, but I have digits and I have my intelligence, so I'm going to write in the sand. And so they circumnavigate the, the penalty of being a different animal and not having lips, for example, by using a human solution of tools. So I'm going to use written language. Uh, or Morse code. I've had druids who use Morse code as woodpeckers. And you go, well, that's that's a smart workaround of not being able to talk. Uh, so that's what I would do is if, if the player said, okay, when I transform into a frog, I want to be able to speak with frogs, I go, all right, that's fine. But then you have no concept of what the humans are saying. As a frog, you would need speak with humans in order to understand them. So if you want to talk to frogs, that's fine. But then you just don't understand humans. To, 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 try and, to try and balance it out a little bit, because otherwise it is a kind of a bonus hit points, bonus attacks possibly, especially at the lower levels, and now you can speak to those other animals. That could, that could be a, a diffusing situation to a degree. Having said that, though, growing up in, in the wild, I spent years as a wildlife cameraman um, filming wild animals, and I can tell you that unless diplomacy is very well hidden in the natural kingdom, when two rival lion prides come across one another, there isn't a polite negotiation and discussion. <laughs> there is a vast amount of violence. Um, most, most animals, I mean, uh, you, you, elephants, I, I did a documentary on elephants who were assassinating other elephants. They, they were literally murdering them. They had their own technique of how to do it as well, which was particularly unsettling. Birds. If any anywhere birds. you live, look to the skies, <laughs> or just like I get attacked in my own home, and I'm just like I live here too, and I'm not doing anything <laughs> to you or whatever you got going on, and I'm getting dive bombed going from my driveway to my front door. <laughs> right. So even if you were able to speak to these things, it's like no, we're friends. Would the animal go? Oh yeah. well, yes. No, oh, I see yeah. your point. No, fair point. Fair point. Fair point. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a human. You're a human. We don't need to fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Because uh, yeah, exactly. Point made. So so yeah, I, I I would have to say no. Then I guess on on both of those counts. Cool. I l- I like Boring, that we man. all have differing opinions. I would say a restricted yes. And so I I think guy, you make some really great points with. There's reasons that it says no, uh, especially for like just speaking whatever languages that you know. And there are like there's a reason that speak with animals is a spell and doing away with that completely would kind of be silly. 
Uh, I do like the idea of it, and I think that I would say yes, and here's how I would say yes. I think that if we talk about, like, the druid as someone who is really prefers a specific to be transformed into, per se, a honey badger, like we talked about, that's they would rather be transformed into a honey badger than their regular uh, human, elf, dwarf, whatever it is, um, form. Living years and years with this as their preferred form, I might say, you know, you've really developed the skill that you're able to do this. Now, that still doesn't change the fact that you might not be able to cast intricate spells that use your hands or materials, but perhaps that opens the door. Or perhaps, as a, I mean, as a DM, you also have the right to say, you know, spells just still don't work when you're transformed. You're not able to do it. And that's the lovely thing about magic is you can come up with a reason for it or you can just say, I, I don't know why it doesn't work. It's magic. Magic is strange. Uh, but you can speak as a honey badger. I do want to hear your honey badger voice, Neil. You got to make that honey badger voice for me. But yeah, sure, why not? Because you've spent so much time as a honey badger. And I think I'd rule it the same way with, with speaking to other animals is, especially if you're going with the sense of like, when you speak to another animal, it's uh, more broken up because the animals don't have the intelligence that we do. Uh, I mean, stat wise, they certainly uh, don't when we talk about uh, the game. Uh, I, I think I'd say you've spent enough time uh, as a sparrow that you've learned how the sparrows communicate with each other. And it might be the same way that I do if a player wants to learn a new language. I usually say yes, but I say it's not, even if it's you just learned a new language by going up a level, whatever it is, I don't want it to be instantaneous. I want this to be a role-playing opportunity. How is it that you're learning? Are you carrying out a book? We're going to start it off as broken. It's going to get better and better as we continue through time. And eventually you will be able to speak this language. Same thing with, I think, as a, an animal. If you really want to work on learning to speak Sparrow, I might say, sure. Uh, but it's not going to be instantaneous. You just saw a walrus and now you're able to transform into a walrus. You don't know how to speak walrus. They're new to you. You're going to have to give it time. All right. I said it was the last question. I lied. I got one more for you. And because of time, I'm just going to ask for a yes or no from both of you on this question. And then Neil's going to bring us into the last set uh, segment, not talking about uh, animal uh, based races, like uh, a Minotaur or a Kenku or something. But if you are in, if you have a, a awakened animal, like a squirrel that has been awakened and now has the intelligence of a person and they become a Druid. Yes or no. Can they use wild shape to transform into a, a, a human or an elf or a dwarf? Go. No explanation. Neil. Yes. Guy. Yes. I'm not going to answer. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> Neil, what? bring us in. <laughs> okay. So one of our favorite sections that we've added recently is that we want to give homework out. And of course, we always say it's the best homework we could give. And I like kicking it off to kind of give some examples. And you should go watch one of my favorite childhood television shows, Beast Wars. And you should specifically watch all of the scenes with Tigatron, because I would say it is one of the most interesting approaches to how a druid is. The idea is that all of the stasis pods have been damaged and Tigatron comes out as more tiger than as a Beast Wars character or a transformer. And the quote straight off the wiki, we are given a paradise. All we had to do was live there in peace, but we proved unworthy and the paradise is no more. 
And if there's a more druid line out there, <laughs> I don't know what it could possibly be. And the graphics totally hold up, don't they? No. <laughs> not at all. Not even through the series. Like the first episode and the last are fundamentally different in terms of budget, clearly. For me, for my homework, I'm going to give out a podcast that I uh, really enjoy. It's on Irish mythology. Uh, and so druids come into play a lot in the stories. Uh, and that's the Fireside podcast. You can hear a whole bunch of stories that druids are part of in that. And like if, like we talked about at the beginning of the this show, how you can dive into the history or the mythology in our real world and learn from that and maybe bring that as inspiration into your own. Right. My turn to give out some homework. I would like everyone to brush up on their Latin and quickly go and read Commentari Be Bello Gallico, which is, as we all know, Caesar's famous work on, on, on Druids. No, I, I'm... I'm <laughs> it, it's interesting um but i hope there are listeners that, trying to write that down and spell that yeah right yeah commentary di bello gallico uh, basically commentary on, on on the gauls and what i would encourage people to do though and and maybe this is too heavy but i love history and you can get caesar's book in english uh the gaelic wars where he talks about this stuff because a lot of people don't look at his stuff as as historically valuable for reasons however he wrote about the Druids as someone who was there. He was interrogating the Druid people. He was interrogating the Gauls. This is where it came from. And there's so much stuff in there that talks to this spiritual, judgmental, or judge-giving group of individuals, as well as some terrifically atrocious things that happened during these wars, that as someone who runs a game, I think you cannot go wrong by reading this going, why was this man writing it? What was he doing? And then reading some of the battles and, and things that come out of that. So it definitely gives you some insight into Druids as a, a space outside of just being Druidic, but at the same time gives you this, uh, this incredible insight into, into a campaign that was particularly difficult for the, the Romans after Caesar. Well, first and foremost, Guy, we just want to thank you again for coming on, spending this time, and all of us just, I don't know that we've had someone so like-minded in their approach to <laughs> GMing and GMing advice, and it's just been awesome. But the other thing I want to do is ask you one final question, and is that is where can people go online to find all the awesome stuff you're doing? www.greatgamemaster.com greatgamemaster.com that will link you to everything we've got a massive discord we've got twitter and all that kind of stuff uh, but greatgamemaster.com is the hub from where you will find everything perfect and that'll be in the show notes so thank you so much uh, again for joining us and uh, i know that uh, we would love to have you back on sometime in the future can't wait it's been an absolute blast we just want to thank Guy again for coming on and spending some time with us talking all about druids, wild shapes, and all of that. And of course, if you want to tell us about how you've been introducing druids into your game, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you see fit, head on over to Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice and leave us a review so that we can get out in front of more people and we'll read it on air. Of course, you can always follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. And of course, like us on Facebook so that you can catch all the news and updates that we have. And today's Patreon shout out goes to Darren Dickey. And Darren is a fiend platinum dragon. 
So thank you, Darren. And you can watch out for that druid layer coming your way too. As always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like DMnastics, We're So Bad at Adventuring, Detentions and Dragons, and more. But that's all we have for you today here at the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And keep on dungeon mastering. It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. Every combat encounter should have the chance of a TPK. Because if not, are you really trying?